Well, it's a a time of celebration here at our church this week. Uh, Yesterday, Jake and Shelly Mason married off their daughter, Brooklyn, and that party went far into the night here. I think the hoops are still left over from that. Um, And then earlier this week, um, Carson Cobb, our student minister, and his wife Ashley gave birth to a little girl, Charlotte Lee Cobb. She's a southern girl. Um, they'll call her Charlie, so if you see Carson here this morning, encourage him in, in, in that. And then, of course, this week is Thanksgiving, and so as you think about giving thanks, let me encourage you in a horizontal way. Every time you walk in this building, there are people who serve you. They, they watch your children, they serve you coffee, they hand you bulletins, they... All, all kinds of things are going on around here, and outside of this, your small group leaders... Uh, Many, many people who serve you. In the next couple of weeks, would you track down some of the people who serve you and just thank them for their service? Um, Catch somebody doing something beautiful for Christ and thank them for it uh, as we walk through this season of Thanksgiving. So I want to encourage you in that. If you want to put your thumb in a place in the Bible this morning, you can put it in the book of Colossians. Uh, That's where we'll be this morning. We're... It's a little bit of an in-house message. We're talking about what it means for us to beautifully love our neighbors in the name of Christ today. So um, find your way there, and I'd like to pray for us as you do. Let's pray. Lord, be kind to us now through your word. Bring, Bring grace to us. Help us to trust that what you, the directions you give us are for our good and for the glory of your name that they're for the good of our friends who are yet to know you. So may your spirit give us uh, obedience today and faith to carry it out, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the New York York Post writes an article. It's about uh, being a letter carrier, a mailman, we would call them, and, uh, and what their job is. Pretty much one thing, right? Deliver the mail. That's pretty much what they are supposed to do. But apparently there was a Brooklyn mailman who spent a decade avoiding his job as he intentionally hoarded over 40,000 pieces of mail in his apartment. Um, It was over a ton of mail, 2,500 pounds to be exact, and it took uh, five postal workers over five hours to remove the massive stash of purloined letters from his apartment. Um, If convicted, he faces up to five years in prison. This is all the more troubling uh, when you think about the oath that postmen, mailmen take. It's not the whole dark of night, rain, sleet thing. Uh, This is what they actually, this is their oath. If you want to be a mailman, this is what you do. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. So your mailman is going to take a bullet for the Constitution. You didn't know this, but that's what they do. And uh, on the side, it says, I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I am about to enter. But not, not this guy in, in New York. Um, 
He hoarded the mail. And there's something terribly wrong about that picture. When someone takes an oath to deliver a message and they keep it to themselves, there's something wrong with that picture. So look with me at the book of Colossians. We'll start in the first chapter and kind of quickly work our way to the fourth. Um, The book of Colossians is written by the Apostle Paul. He writes an absolutely stunningly beautiful picture of who Jesus is. You know, as we approach Christmas, if you want to break out of the usual Christmas story, read the early chapters of Colossians if you want to think about Jesus and what it meant for him to come amongst us. Listen as an example from the first chapter. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, Jesus, that is, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So this, the one who is the very image of the invisible God, the maker of all that is, in whom the fullness of God dwells, he has reconciled us to God. He's made peace with God on our behalf by virtue of his life's blood being shed on the cross for our sins. And so when you've been loved like that, it's no surprise that the Apostle Paul spends the back end of the book of Colossians talking about how we should live in light of that kind of lavish love. He says things that there are things that we are to put to death and we are to no longer have anything to do with. In chapter 3, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And then he gives a list of things that we're supposed to do or put on. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the life we live in response to the love of God. He continues that kind of thinking into chapter 4, where he says, having been loved like this, he says, we must be mailmen, faithful mailmen. We have a message that we must deliver to those who are in need of it. Um, said, to know all, all that Christ is in his wondrous beauty, the expectation is that we will share it, that we won't hoard it. Because um, to keep it to ourselves would be wrong. It would just be wrong. Um, not unlike our mailman friend. There's an author, um, Robert Fulgham. Some of you who are PhD students have read his work. It's called, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And he shares some of these kind of insights that came to him from kindergarten. He says, share everything. 
play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Take a nap every afternoon. And when you go out into the world, watch out for traffic. Hold hands and stick together. And there's something beautiful about that kind of simple wisdom. And the Apostle Paul, in the fourth chapter of Colossians, embraces an outline that's this kind of profound, simple wisdom. It simply looks like this. Right out of kindergarten, pray, show, and tell. Right? That's what he wants us to think about today. How we pray, how we show Christ to others, and how we speak of him. So, um, chapter 4, verse 2. This is a message, or a passage rather, that I taught recently. So some of this will sound familiar to some of you. But as the Apostle Paul says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it's safe to you. Plus, uh, God's been using this passage personally for me and I'm really excited about sharing it with you this morning. Um, In verse 2, this is what Paul says we are to do. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving at the same time Pray also for us, Paul says, that God may open a door, open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So the first of the trilogy of things he's asking of us here is that we would be steadfast in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. You could render that be devoted in prayer. The idea is simply, you don't give up easily. You're not easily deterred from faithfulness in prayer. Would that be a suitable way to describe how you pray? Are you steadfast in prayer? Are you devoted to prayer? Um, Or would words like distracted in prayer, haphazard in prayer, be a better description of how you are praying these days? What is it? What does it take to knock you out of the saddle of prayer in your life? Sometimes it's something as simple as uh, a late night ball game, or the kids don't sleep well, or I went on vacation, or that, that rascally snooze button on the radio, the alarm clock. That's all that it takes sometimes uh, for us to be not devoted in prayer. Um, how hard is it for something to keep you from prayer? Could the police stop you from praying? They could not stop Crazy Ali. Crazy Ali is a guy in Turkey. um, And he was a renowned fan of his local Turkish football or soccer club. so, So ardent was his fandom that Ali had been banned from the stadium for a year due to a misdemeanor from a previous fan related incident. So on the day of an important match against a rival team, he found a solution. He rented a crane and then lifted it high enough up over the stadium so he could look over the stadium wall. Ali says he's also known as Crazy Ali, or one translation is Irregular Ali. Um, He says that match was very important for our team. I had to go to the police station to sign a paper to show that I am not watching the match in the stadium. Then quickly, I went to rent the crane, right? That's devoted. 
Crazy Ali is devoted to watching his favorite team play. Today, I'm going to ask you for a daily commitment to pray about something very specific. With the holidays looming and all the distractions and all the travel and all the craziness, will you be devoted to pray about that which I'm about to ask you to do? Will you be devoted to pray daily, which is what is going to be before us? Paul here is calling us to be devoted in prayer. And in addition to that, he says we are to be watchful and thankful in our praying. Um, Watchful, he just has the idea, when he says watchful, he has the idea of being alert or being on your guard. Um, Think of, think of this verse, 1 Peter chapter 5, where a similar idea is used. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful, same idea. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. C.S. Lewis wrote a little book called The Screwtape Letters, which is an, an upper-level demon counseling a lower-level demon. And this is his counsel. He says, the best thing where it is possible is to keep the patient from the serious intention of praying altogether. When you pray, you are entering a battlefield. And it's amazing the distractions that will come. Paul says, be watchful in prayer. Persevere in it. Don't yield this battleground to distraction or to plain old sloth. Okay. Be watchful. Prayer is a favorite devouring point of our enemy. Expect it. Resist it. And, you know, I mentioned to you that this passage has been encouraging to me because I'd, been, I'd become aware that I have not been doing this. Okay? Uh, there's been an erosion that's happened in the time that I've set apart to pray. I've just noticed that sometimes if I'm up a little too late, I get up a little later and I have a little less time. Um, it's just really easy for me to not be devoted. It was too easy for me not to be devoted. Um, almost all of my devotional life happens in conjunction to my iPad. My Bible's on my iPad. My journal's on my iPad. My prayer list's on my iPad. The prayers that I use to prompt me to pray are on my iPad. Um, but, you know, what I'm finding out is so's the weather and sports and headlines and that thing that keeps you from being focused ever for more than about 10 seconds, Google. It's on there. And so I have to guard myself not to allow distractions to come in and rob me of my devotion to prayer. So Paul's reminder to watchfulness is a good one for me. I hope, I hope it is for you. Um, and then he says, also invokes thanksgiving as fuel for our perseverance in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Um, As we remember and give thanks for God's faithfulness in the past, we are all the more encouraged to persevere in prayer now. So devotion to prayer rests on these two things. Watchfulness guards it and thankfulness fuels it. And what Paul writes next is really kind of shocking. Look at what he says next. He says, at the same time, he's writing to this little church in Colossae, in Greece, and he says, pray also for me and the people with me. 
Okay? Paul is asking for prayer. This is his prayer request. The great apostle Paul says, Pray that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And so it, it's really quite amazing. The great apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the, or a large chunk anyway, of the New Testament in your Bible, um, he was the great missionary evangelist of the book of Acts. He is asking for prayer that God would open a door, specifically a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Okay. Paul needs this. He knows that he, cannot, he will not have opportunities to speak to people about Jesus unless God opens the door. Okay. And if Paul needs it, surely we need it. Okay. So he is asking prayer so he can speak about the mystery of Christ. It's not a mystery because it's unclear. It's a mystery because it's unknown. Okay. They had not heard yet. Professor N.T. Wright says it very simply. What opens the door again and again is prayer. Okay. Prayer is what will give you the opportunity to speak to your neighbors, the people you love, about Jesus. The opening of doors, it's like the opening of a heart and mind to believe. This is God's work. Okay. God opens doors. Um, now, he also asked for prayer, not only that he would, a door would be opened, but that he would make the mystery of Christ clear. Paul prays something very similar in Ephesians 6. It's almost the same prayer. Listen, listen to this prayer in Ephesians 6 and see if you hear some similarities. He's saying we should be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Same idea, right? Making supplication for all the saints and also for me, Paul says, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, there's that idea too, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So it's very similar prayer requests that he asks of these two churches to pray for him. But one of the differences is here he asks in Ephesians for boldness and in Colossians he asks that he would be clear. But those ideas are more closely related, I think, than we think about normally. Um, when he asks for um, boldness, um, or what, rather when he prays to be clear, he's really asking for that he would be able to make known or reveal the message uh, of Jesus. That he would, in a sense, faithfully make it known. That he would be able to reveal it. And his request for boldness here in Ephesians is a, is a prayer request against fear which is one of the great things that keeps us from making the message of Jesus known. We're afraid. We're afraid that we might do it wrong. We're afraid of what someone would think about us. One author beautifully said it this way. He says, History is filled with men and women who said no to destructive fear and changed the world. But imagine if they had given in to the paralyzing effects of fear on their lives, Imagine the Apostle Paul, fearing resistance or rejection, choosing to stay home rather than embarking on the missionary journeys that took the message of Christ throughout the known world. Imagine Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. giving speeches filled with gentle hints about the evils of segregation because he feared pushing too hard. 
as we know, King instead, King championed the civil rights movement against racial segregation in the United States. Imagine Rosa Parks during that same era of American history, submitting to the bus driver's command to give up her seat to a white person. Imagine Nelson Mandela looking the other way when he witnessed and experienced apartheid in South Africa because he didn't want to make a fuss. Instead, he spent 27 years in prison and brought apartheid onto the world's radar, helping end the centuries-old regime of, of oppression. Imagine Malala from Afghanistan passively quitting school because she was too frightened by the death threats she received from the Taliban extremists who abhor education for girls. Instead, she became even more vocal about the educational rights of children and women, survived a 2012 assassination attempt, and was a Nobel Peace Prize nominee in 2013 and 2014. And lastly, he writes, imagine yourself fully aware of the mission and vision God has placed in your heart to advance his kingdom in this world, yet held hostage to irrational worries and destructive fears of failure, harm, or rejection. If you don't fulfill the mission God has assigned to you, who will? See, the Apostle Paul, it's interesting, he's writing this as he sits in prison and he says, God, give me an open door and grant me words to speak clearly and boldness that I might make Christ known. Um, and a good application for us from this passage is to pray this prayer of Paul's for the people in our church family who are, who are good at evangelism. Um, they may not think of themselves as gifted, but it's a strength for them. It's a way that God uses them. And so for us to pray, Paul asks for prayer, and these who have this, these strengths in evangelism, um, they would need that prayer too. And so this morning, I'd like to, to lead us in prayer. If, if you are one of those people, so if you have a strength in evangelism, God likes to use you. Would you just raise your hand? Just bravely raise your hand. Stick it up there. We have a couple. Come on, up high. Come on. Is, don't be ashamed of the gospel here now. Come on, raise up your hand. Okay, we have a few, just a few in our church family. We want to pray for you, that God would open doors for you. Okay, so church, let's do it. Let's pray for them right now. Bow with me, please. Lord, these who have raised their hands have a sense that you want to use them greatly to help people come to Jesus. It's one of the most important things you've asked them to do. One of their areas where you've enabled them and strengthened them to do this. And so we pray for them that, that these who lead our church in these matters would have an open door for the gospel and that they would speak clearly and boldly without fear, without hindrance. Um, Lord, and that you would use them to bring many to faith and encourage our whole church in this matter as a result. Now, Lord, I do mean it when I ask that their tribe might increase that you would enable more and more with this strength in reaching the lost. Um, Lord, to lead us and to encourage us um, to, be the, to be the tip of the spear here in our midst. This we ask in your great name. Amen. So if you know one of these people, um, Josh Reed is one of, our, one of our gifted leaders in evangelism. He calls these people apes. Apostles, prophets, and evangelists. So if you know one of our North Wake apes that raised their hand, would you pray for them? Put them on your prayer list and pray Paul's prayer that he asked for them. Pray that he would grant them 
an open door uh, for the gospel. So if Paul needs this prayer, and if our people who are gifted and lead us in evangelism need this kind of prayer, where does that put the rest of us? Okay? We need God to give us these opportunities or they'll never happen. So here's my challenge. Every day from now until the rest of the end of the year, would you pray this prayer of Paul for you and for our church leaders in this matter? So would you pray that God would grant an open door to speak of Christ to those around you? Every day. That you would be devoted every day to pray this little prayer of the Apostle Paul. Um, Throughout the holidays with all their distractions and derailments with family and travel. Let's be devoted to praying in the specific way that Paul has in mind here. For an open door. And that we would be ready to speak with clarity and boldness. So the first thing Paul calls us to is prayer. The second thing enters us into that show and tell kind of thing. In verse 5, it's show. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So walking in wisdom in Paul's mind involves walking in ways that honor God that represent him well to others. And he uses this language back in the first chapter of Colossians. You'll hear it here. It says, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom. Walk in wisdom. He's praying for wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. The idea seems to be that we would represent the Lord well. That we would walk in ways that are worthy of Him, that are pleasing to Him, where we put off those things that are to be put off and we put on those things that are to be put on that we just read about. And that we would bear fruit in every good work, including evangelism. Because this is not just for those people that raise their hand. This is for us all to share the love of Christ with those that we love and those that we know. Jesus wrote about this um, in Matthew 5. He said to us, he said, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the assumption in all of these passages is that we are near to those outside the church, these outsiders, so they can see our lives and give glory to God. We are in relationship with them. They know us. We're their friends. But there's this shocking statistic from the Center for the Study of Global Christianity, and it says that in North America, one out of five non-Christians does not personally know even one Christian, one follower of Jesus. One out of every five people does not know even one Christian. Um, And it gets even higher for certain groups. So 65% of Buddhists in our country do not know one Christian. 75% of the Chinese in our country 
do not know one Christian. 78% of Hindus, 43% of Muslims in our country do not personally know one follower of Christ. 75% of all international students in the United States will never enter an American home while they study here. Three out of four international students in our universities will never enter an American home. Isolation is killing our ability to make Jesus known. Paul says we're to make the best use of the time. The idea is that we would seize the open door when it comes. And the holidays give us special, unique opportunities for this. Open up your home this holiday season. Have people over who are outsiders. They're outside of our church family. They're outside of Christ. Invite them to your house. Okay? Have a neighborhood Christmas party. Have dinner with someone from work. Perhaps especially with people from another culture who have such little access to knowing who Jesus is and seeing people who actually follow him. See people who walk in wisdom after Christ. Um, and then be ready. Don't be surprised when God answers your prayers. So one of my practices is to pray daily for an open door for the gospel. Okay? Um, it's one of the things I try to do. And I'm an introvert, so I probably need to pray it multiple times a day so that it has its effect on me. But I, I met a lady who's a barista at a local coffee shop and got to know her. We became friends. I went there uh, regularly because I find that um, when I really want to get work done, my office is not a good place because the most fun people in the world are in my office and they're horribly distracting to me. So I'll go to a coffee shop to work. And I met my friend and we got to know each other. Uh, talking there, got to know her a little bit. And one day, her countenance was like down at her knees. It was just evident something terrible had happened. So I asked her, I said, you don't, you don't look yourself today. What's going on? And she explained to me one of the worst betrayals I had ever heard that happened to her. And so that gave me a chance to let her know that I was going to be praying for her. And then that eventually led to an opportunity for me to pray with her. Um, I was able to send her uh, an email with some scriptures that encouraged her, that God loved her even though she was experiencing all this. And eventually, after a lot more coffee, um, there was a chance to actually send her a, a beautiful little presentation of the good news about Jesus uh, that's online and for her to watch. And she was greatly encouraged about it. We had a wonderful conversation about what she thinks about Jesus and who he is and with respect to her life. Um, and that's where Paul's taking us. We live wisely. We care deeply for people. We, we show them the good news. We're praying for them. And we tell them. It's pray, show, and tell. Look at the last verse we'll look at today, verse 6. Let your speech, he says, always be gracious or full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You know, one way we walk wisely among outsiders, Paul says, is by our words, what we say to people. He says, your words should be gracious and they should be salty. Um, gracious speech 
could just be a reference to being kind, kind speech. But it also could have the idea that it is full of grace. That is, it's about grace. That we would speak of the grace that Christ has given to us, to others. Um, salty speech, it's not like sailor speech. Sometimes that's referred to as salty. Um, the idea is that it's winsome, it's tasteful, it's delightful. You know, when you get just the right amount of salt on your food, it, en- it enhances the taste. So here that you would be speaking in winsome, inviting ways about Jesus. You know, to mention God, to offer prayer, to give thanks, to give Him credit when credit is due to those around you. To let, let them know that God has helped you in, in the same area that they are suffering. So over this holiday season, will you join me every day persevering in prayer and asking God for an open door for the gospel, for a chance to take a next step in a relationship with a friend who doesn't know Christ. Paul says they're an outsider in that regard. Now, what if the next step with your friend is the first step with that friend? You've never had a gospel conversation, never talked about Jesus or faith with them. How do you start that? And I would just say, ask questions. The holidays serve us, serve us beautifully here. Thanksgiving's coming up. Got plans for Thanksgiving. Um, what are you most thankful for? When you're thankful for that, who do you thank? Um, you know, for me, I found that Jesus connects me to God in a way that really makes me thankful to God. Have you ever read one of his biographies? They're like 30 pages. Would you like to read? I'd love to hear your thoughts if you'd be willing to read it together. See, everybody in this room can do what I just did. It's just asking your friend questions about what they believe and offering to, to read of Christ with them, to speak. For if they want to explore Christ. If they don't, then you keep praying. But you can do what I just did. Christmas gives you the same kind of opportunities. So when you're growing up, what were your Christmas family traditions? I mean, like, were, were any of them spiritual or were most of them like kind of Americana kind of traditions? Um, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the actual Christmas story. Not, not Ralphie, but the actual Christmas story. Have you ever read it? It's like five pages long. I'll get you a copy. I'd love to hear your thoughts about what you think about the actual story. See, you can do that. You can do it with people at work. You can do it with a neighbor. You can do it with somebody at a coffee shop. This is licensed to drink lots of coffee. um, And engage people uh, with simple questions. But if the next step with your friend isn't a first step, the question then becomes, can you explain the message of Jesus to them in a simple and natural way? And there's a really simple approach that we've encouraged around here. It's called the three circles. We like things that have to do with three circles around here. Um, and it starts with the brokenness in our world or pain and suffering that somebody's experiencing in their own life. And from there, you can speak to them of Christ. Here's a really quick summary. Watch this and you'll see what I'm talking about. So we live in this world and it's characterized by brokenness. We don't have to look very hard to see. There are things like disease, disasters, wars. There's a lot of pain in this world, but this is not God's original design. God has a perfect design. And the way that we have gotten ourselves 
into brokenness is through something that the Bible calls sin. Sin is turning away from God's design and pursuing our own way. And that leads us to brokenness. Brokenness eventually leads us to death. And this death will separate us from God forever. But God doesn't want us to stay in brokenness. So he's made a way out. And that way is Jesus. Jesus comes and he enters into our brokenness. And the death that we deserve for pursuing brokenness, Jesus takes our place and dies on a cross. And his body is broken for us. And three days after he dies, he rose from the dead and he made a way out of brokenness. And people try many things to get out of brokenness. Things like religion, things like success or relationships, education or drugs and alcohol. But none of these things can get us out of brokenness. The only way out is Jesus. And if we turn from our sin and believe that Jesus died for us and rose from the dead, we can leave brokenness and grow in a relationship with God and pursue His design. And more than that, we can go. We can be sent, just like Jesus, back into brokenness to help others come through Him to pursue God's design. Now, there's two types of people in the world. There are people that are pursuing God's design, and there's people that are still in brokenness. We have to ask ourselves, where are we? So, where do you think you are? Isn't that, isn't that simple? It's just three circles. Uh, you talk about brokenness happens to us all, but that's not God's good plan. So that in love, he sent Christ to rescue us from that so that we could enter into a relationship with him and walk in his good ways. That's, that's the three circles. And uh, this week in your small group, you'll have resources to talk about that with. But hey, if you're praying every day for an open door for the gospel, you should be ready because this is a prayer God loves to answer. And this week, you might have a chance to sit down and draw Three simple circles on a napkin with somebody. Or ask them about their Thanksgiving traditions and who they thank. Or ask them about, have they ever read the Christmas story, the actual one? And would they be willing to do that and give, give you their thoughts? It's really important to you. This week, if we're praying for open doors, we should expect that. Peter says that. He says we honor God by doing that. He says in 1 Peter 3, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and with respect. So there's that idea again that someone's going to see your life and they're going to ask you about it. Paul has the same thing in that last verse that we talked about in verse 6 of chapter 4. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. It kind of implies that they're asking you a question. Um, as we hang out with people and we have friends who are outside of this place, and we live a wise life full of gracious and salty speech, um, God wants to open doors for the gospel. So that from now to the end of the year, will you join me? I'm going to pray every day that God would grant me and you these kinds of amazing God-given opportunities to speak of the love of Christ in a broken world. Okay? Pray with me if you would. Lord, have mercy on us. Um, most of us, were hesitant to raise our hands because we're not good at telling people about you. Forgive us for our lack of faith and, and even our disobedience and I pray now that you would help us to trust you, that you can use even us 
even us, that you could open up a door that wide that even we could speak of someone we love. Maybe it's a family member we'll see at Thanksgiving or maybe it's a neighbor. Lord, grant us open doors and give us boldness and clarity of speech so that we might share the good love of Jesus that's been so beautiful for us with the people around us that you've put in our world. And Jesus, we ask this in your name and for your sake. Amen. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to declare this together in song as we close.